After the first success of 40,000 views on the first day, my next few videos at least got a few thousand each. And so I kind of just wanted to give people what they want. There does come a time for a lot of creators where you might have to think to yourself, is this the peak of what I'm doing right now? And if it is, what's next? I feel like I've kind of covered a lot of the major animal groups. I definitely am going to have to figure out a way to make a more sustainable way of making topics because I'm running short on animals. My experience with Nebula has been nothing short of excellent. It's a place where you can upload stuff that might not necessarily work on YouTube. As much as I would love to make the Tier Zoo game, you know, where you can play as any animal and whatnot, I actually think it's kind of better off just as a concept in our minds and to make a show about instead of actually playing it. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown, the home of Make Something Mean Something. It is TCU's day. We are here every Tuesday recording live on Discord for all of our patrons and some lurkers. I am Kevin Lieber, not with us this week because he is locked up in Vsauce 2 jail is Matthew Tabor. I am the warden of Vsauce 2 jail. I hold the key and uh, I am not letting him out of there until at least next week. So you're going to have to wait to hear his smooth, sultry uh, voice until next week. But we have a great guest tonight. Uh, really, really, really excited about this guest because regardless of what you believe about the creation of the universe, hierarchy was the second thing ever invented because it was the second thing. And with its arrival, one thing could be compared to another. The concept of ranking and its importance have evolved over millennia. And by the 20th century, we had people doing it full time. Legendary disc jockey Casey Kasem spent a lifetime counting down America's top 40 songs, but Simply relaying a list of judgments isn't enough anymore. Tier Zoo has amassed over 3 million subscribers and 300 million views by weaving that ordinal obsession with David Attenborough's infectious narration of the world's fauna and also gaming. Tier Zoo does with animals what our previous guest uh, Rick Beato does with songs as he breaks down nature's best builds and puts them through an intellectual meat grinder and delivers it all through the modern lens of gaming. Fish, dinosaurs, and cats have all gotten the tier zoo treatment, while hippos, scorpions, and even the sloths of old have all been on trial after being accused of being OP. That's uh, overpowered for our boomer listeners out there. Your grandpa's dusty stack of National Geographic, that is D-tier. Tier Zoo's entertaining, fresh, and informative approach to getting gamers into zoology, that's S-tier. So, I would love to start at the very beginning when it comes to your channel. If Tier Zoo was your S-tier YouTube channel idea, what was A-tier? Oh, wow. It's really funny that you asked that because Tier Zoo is not my first YouTube channel at all. Um... I tried and failed several times. Um, so I tried my hand at like doing, um, basically doing what, uh, what Vsauce does, like doing a sort of educational, just like very straight man kind of uh, educational stuff. And I did not do very well at that. I tried to do a, a 
channel centered around the card game Magic the Gathering um, and uh, basically teaching people how to play it. And that didn't do very well at all. I tried my hand at doing animations and they were centered around the video game RuneScape. Uh, and that one like kind of got a little bit of traction. I got like 500 subscribers. And so that's that's got to be my A tier, I guess, because I was able to get at least a little bit of a following. Um, <laughs> that's where we're at with that. <laughs> so you have A tier, you have B tier, you even have C tier. You know, I had a feeling that there must have been previous attempts because Tirzu seemed to knock it out of the park immediately. And that just kind of doesn't happen. It's like, how can somebody just have such a great idea and have it work instantly that's impossible it just is it just doesn't happen because it it is such a good idea it was i remember you know first seeing it thinking wow this is really different like this is really a a truly unique approach like a truly youtube youtube kind of approach to mix like the gamer thing with sort of you know yeah wildlife education Totally. Yeah, the, the, I, I feel like you just have the to mixture kind of speak, is perfect. Yeah, I, I feel like you have to kind of speak the YouTube language at least a little bit and kind of know the the basic ins and outs of how you upload something, what a what a title looks like when it comes to YouTube, and what the basic cadence of any video essay is. And so, just trying and failing is probably the best way to at least get a little bit used to that. And so that's what, whenever anyone asks, "How do I start a YouTube channel?" I'm just like, "Just do it. Just like." come up with any idea and it'll probably fail, but you'll at least know how YouTube kind of works at that point. And then you can start another channel and do it again. And maybe you'll do a little, bit, a little better each time. But how much runway did you give those other channels? You know, was, are we talking years? Are we talking like a few months for each or, or how did that pan out? Uh, yeah. I, so, I mean, I, like was, when do you I, decide, you know, this isn't working? <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, for me, it's just when I, I hit a peak and then, I see a, a bit of a fall off because it seems to be how basically every YouTube channel works uh, in terms of their growth cycle is they'll have, they'll put out their first few videos and they'll get nothing because it doesn't happen right away. But then you'll get a little bit of a little uh, acceleration in how many views you're getting. And then it'll kind of just peak eventually. And it's where that peak is and how far back down it goes um, is, is how I kind of conceptualize it. Like uh, on my like first YouTube channel when I was like a little kid, basically. Like I've been doing YouTube for, I mean, since YouTube was a thing. I wasn't good at it since YouTube was a thing. Definitely not. But I mean, if you if you knew my YouTube channel name from when I was like 13 years old or 14 years old, you would be able to find really bad videos of me playing around in my neighborhood with my friends growing up. Um, but so those videos would get, you know, no views, obviously. And then uh, for a, a channel that has at least some sort of uh, idea behind it and some sort of skill behind the editing and that kind of thing, you might get a few thousand views and then it'll peak there and then you'll never get anything again, or at least not for a long time. And so for me, uh, it's like, I guess it's it's sort of like we, what we were talking about earlier, how you kind of get that initial like hit of dopamine, I guess, and how you get like get really excited. And it's just, I guess it's just how excited you can get about a few hundred views. If that really is like, oh, wow, uh, I'm having such a good time. I can't wait to see the audience's reaction to the next one. Uh, then uh, then it can definitely be worth it for you. Uh, but if that's not enough to make you psyched about your next upload, um, then maybe not. So for me, like I, I had a very strong start right away uh, because I have 
I had a lot of experience with YouTube before that from these other failed channels. But I also got really lucky with Reddit. I, I put a, a link to my video on Reddit and it went viral, like the very first video on, on TierZoo. Uh, and so I got like a real nice early start um, where I got 40,000 views the first day and a thousand subscribers overnight. And that was like baffling to me. I had never seen such numbers. <laughs> My previous channel that I had done was this animation channel about the video game RuneScape. And I had amassed over months, I had amassed like 400 subscribers and maybe a, maybe 10,000 views on my most viewed video, which was like exciting for me for sure. But um, that was like one of the early videos and everything since then had gotten not, not even more than a thousand. And so it just really wasn't exciting. I kind of felt like I was throwing my time away. But with Tearzoo, uh, after the first success of 40,000 views on the first day, um, my next few videos at least got a few thousand each. Uh, like I could at least kind of hope for maybe 5,000 views per video. And that was enough to just like, oh, like I have a fan base. Like people really are excited for, about the next one. And so I kind of just wanted to give people what they want um, and was really hyped about the whole thing. And it was cool to see it grow. And it, it never like, it, it never flatlined again. And so that was when I kind of felt, okay, I, I have something here. I have to nurture it. I have to kindle it and watch it grow. So that's how, mm -hmm. that's how I started out. And that's, that's how I think, I mean, I definitely got lucky at first, but you want to see something like that. If you're starting a new channel, you want to see something that is alive. It's not just like a flash in the pan. People are still talking about it even, you know, a few days after you upload your video. Yeah. You know, they say you have to make your own luck. And I think that that is kind of a good example of that. You know, you tried multiple different channels entirely, content styles entirely formats entirely eventually you did hit one that you did get lucky but you did you know the things that you needed to do to create that luck when you mentioned you know we were talking earlier about this this thing where tiktok and and youtube shorts are are they they gas up views like straight out of the gate for creators yeah. and, and i hope like more people's kind of are, are aware of this but you know if you start an account and you create I don't know, your first 10 TikToks or your first 10 YouTube shorts, one of those is going to get an abnormal, uh, like an outlier amount of views. And that is 100% done on purpose. So I could see, because they want people to stick around and make more stuff and feel like, ooh, I did it once, I could do it again. But what you're talking about, I think is super interesting, which is recognizing, I guess, where the ceiling is perhaps with the type of content that you're making. You know, I had a similar experience when I was making, I was making YouTube videos for about three years before Vsauce was a thing. And to some, you know, degree of success, um, there, there were like big fans of that Kevin Lieber channel and the Jerry Bloop videos and stuff like that. But I tell you, you know, when, when Michael first asked me about, uh, doing Vsauce stuff, it seemed like there was an accelerant behind Vsauce in a way that there wasn't with, the comedy that I was doing. And, and, and I felt like I had hit a ceiling with that because I had to make a conscious decision. Do I continue to make these like weird comedy videos or do I follow this Vsauce path wherever that may lead? And it, it has led, it's, it's been a winding road. <laughs> it's led all over the place over the past decade, but it, it is important. I, I think that we haven't really talked about that on this podcast in 140 episodes or whatever, but there there does come a time for a lot of creators where you might have to think to yourself, like, is this the peak of what I'm doing right now? And if it is, you know, what's next? 
Yeah. And like, is that good enough? Even if you could consistently hit that peak, is that, is that enough to make a career out of that kind of thing? And I was like super wrong about what I could expect out of my channel. When I was first starting, I thought the maximum, if I were to get literally everyone on the planet who could be interested, if they could be aware of my stuff, I thought that the maximum amount of people that would be, would be like 300,000 because that's how many subscribers the subreddit that I had first gotten this like viral hit on, that's how many they had. And that had been a, been around for years. And so I thought, okay, that's like maybe the most I could hope for. Um, and that's just people who are interested in both this sort of weird video game jargony kind of thing and also using that to describe real life. Uh, but I was very wrong about that. I What I found is that whenever you take two topics that um, aren't really all that connected and and try to fuse them together and create your own thing out of that, really your potential audience is basically everyone who's interested in either one of those things. They don't have to be interested in both things. They can be interested in just one and you can make it work and you can get them interested in this other thing. Um, one of the examples I always give is like binging with Babish. I watched him blow up and I'm not interested at all in cooking. I don't know how to cook. That's not my thing. But I was really interested in, in you know, just reminiscing of, about all these fun foods that I had seen on TV and in, in uh, movies and whatnot. And, and that's clearly enough, not just for me, but for his whole audience is like, you don't have to know cooking, but you can just give someone something that they're at least a little bit familiar with. And that can pull, that can be all you need to pull them in and build this huge audience. And that works in both directions on, on the cooking side, getting them interested in movies on the, the video game side, getting someone interested in animals, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, choosing two topics and trying to fuse them together, I think works really well for, for creating a new channel and kind of carving your own niche on YouTube or any content platform. So was this, was this Reddit or sorry, was this subreddit, were they already, was it a subreddit dedicated to kind of ranking animals and then you turned that into a video? Is that, what was the, uh, <laughs> That's a great the etymology, what was the origin story of, of, of actually creating these videos? Yeah. So the, uh, the origin story, I guess, would be that uh, this subreddit called r slash outside, where they just talk about the game called outside, like, wow, outside has great graphics. Like they basically, it was very surface level, like just applying video game jargon and like software terminology to real life, not necessarily animals, not necessarily anything in science related, but just like day to day stuff like, oh, how, how is everyone doing on the dating quest line? Isn't that super hard? Like that kind of just random stuff like that. Um, and, and so I just like the, the majority of their stuff was very much centered around, you know, human life. Uh, and so I took it in a different direction and decided to make something using the same terminology, but applying it to animals. Um, and they kind of latched onto that and liked it. And that was good enough. And I've, I've got the Reddit post saved as like, I always just go back and look at it and just to see how excited I was to, to get my first few thousand views. Um, but yeah, that's how it started. Put down your can of Hyper Hydro Monster and your Crimson Berry White Claw. It's time to rethink the beverages in your life. We drink a tremendous amount of tea, working on videos, recording the podcast, but we don't drink normie NPC tea. We drink cultured and refined anime tea from the Dragon's Treasure. They've got a gunpowder green tea called Space Cowboy. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know why Kevin likes it. And I used to chew gunpowder green tea leaves when I played baseball in the 90s. I love the stuff. Dragonwell Z, Samurai Chai Plu, Black Teas, Herbals, The Dragon's Treasure describes itself as a haven for anime and tea lovers for a reason. 
They've even got a tea called Uwu. It's got apple bits and cocoa nibs. It's crazy. I bought the 60 tea sampler pack as soon as I could. I wanted to try everything. It's that good. And when you order from the Dragon's Treasure using the code CREATE, you'll get 10% off your order. That's 10% off using the code CREATE at thedragonstreasure.com. The link's in the description. Look, find me another place that sells Russian caravan tea with a name like And Then Everything Changed When the Fire Nation Attacked. You can't. Thedragonstreasure.com, 10% off when you enter the code CREATE at checkout. The link's in the description below. Get brewing, space cowboys. What What's so funny to me is that, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, we had these things, I think they were called like zoo cards or something like that. I don't, oh. I don't remember exactly what they were, car, like they were called, but you would like get them in the mail and it would just be, you know, ostensibly like oversized baseball cards yep. for animals <laughs> and you would collect them and there was like a little plastic bin that you would like keep them in and alphabetize them or whatever. It's the lamest thing you could you could think of right now. But, you know, in the early 90s or whenever that was, late 80s, it was really cool. Why? Because learning about animals is really cool and it's very, very interesting. But holy crap, is it is it always presented in the same extremely dry, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, you know, referenced Attenborough in the in the intro. And the guy is an absolute legend legend. I'm not taking anything away from him or like National Geographic, which is, you know, an institution that's, you know, over 100 years like those things are great, but they are like really pretty straight, straight laced and dry. So. It seemed like the market was wide open for doing something that was actually fun, Yeah, <laughs> which is what, you know, your channel does. It's like, hey, let's actually have fun while learning about like ants and bees and why they're so cool and crazy. Like, what an idea, you know, it seems so obvious. But at the same time, nobody was doing that until you started doing it. Well, I, Not at that thanks. scale. I mean, I'm least, so glad you, know? you liked it. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the, the programming on Nat Geo and BBC and stuff was very dry and like almost like solemn. Like it, there was like way too much gravitas put into everything. There was always like really somber background music whenever an animal was just doing, you know, kind of just portraying the animal world as like super majestic, which is great. It is majestic. But also, I think portraying it in a sort of irreverent, wacky style works totally just as well, if not better sometimes. Yeah, yeah. They always have this tone that you're right. It is it is majestic and it works super, super well for things like like planet Earth. Yeah. And, you know, those beautiful, beautiful documentaries. But that's not the only way to to consume you know, interesting scientific content, yeah. you know, as we've learned, you know, YouTube has been really great at blossoming that, whether it's talking about chemistry or mathematics or whatever, but ah, TV is so, you know, I've harped on this a lot um, on this podcast, but TV is so behind the times <laughs> in that regard where it's still that same like well this is how we've been doing this stuff for 70 yeah, years yeah, yeah. let's just crank out another it's one very set in its ways so weird i do think animal content on youtube has like it's kind of always been this sort of wacky kind of thing um i mean not just me but also like the frank doing the here now we will explore true facts about the owl or whatever and then mm -hmm. of course the classic like honey badger video honey badger don't care like 
that kind of thing. It was always really wacky and irreverent. Um, and people just love that. You know, it's, it's a great bite-sized kind of junk food uh, humor style that works really, really well online. And so I think trying to inject a little bit of actual educational value in there to help it go down or in reverse um, works really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And, and, you know, uh, watching the evolution of your channel, your editing has gotten like a lot more, uh, advanced. There's more, it seems like there's like faster cuts, the smoother animations. Are, are you doing the editing yourself? Are you working with somebody? So I've been doing the editing myself, uh, for the vast majority of the, of the channel's life. Um, only the past, like, actually there's only one video currently, I guess by the time you upload this to Spotify or whatever, there'll be two because I'm going to upload another one tomorrow. Um, but only those two videos, the, the, uh, the how ants and bees broke the game. And then the video that I'm putting out tomorrow, which is our claws OP. Those were edited by someone else. Um, uh, I just started working with him and he's, he's great. But before then it was all me. I was a one man show. Um, there was a few assets that I would buy from other people. Like I would hire a, a VFX artist to make or sort of replicate a lot of the effects that I'd seen in Super Smash Brothers and uh, other video games like that, uh, that I wasn't confident in doing myself. But other than that, yeah, it was uh, it, it was all me. And recently, yeah, people have been telling me, oh, wow, your editing style improved so much. And I'm like, really? Was it was mine that bad? <laughs> I'm like a little insulted. Everyone's like, oh, wow, this new video just really on another level, Patrick. Great job. I'm like, okay, thanks a lot. <laughs> Glad it was that noticeable. <laughs> Well, I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm it's a good thing to me. It's a good thing. Totally. You know, I, I, I'm really a big fan of uh, if if you have the means of you know working with people and kind of compartmentalizing certain uh, elements of your production to maximize you know your own time and the things yeah. that you're good and also uh, maximize what other people are really good at and maybe they are really good at editing and they have a huge passion for it and they create presets in their free time and yeah. you know watch tutorials all day and that's what they love to do and that's a great thing like that specialization is really important for how things uh, improve you know no matter what it is um so yeah I, I think it's a good thing and it also is freeing you up to to hopefully put out more videos i mean i remember talking gosh, years ago to Derek um, from Veritasium yeah. about this because he had a hard time in the beginning sort of building a team and scaling and working with other people. And I mean, the results speak for themselves with which with how that has gone for him. It really, really catapulted and took his channel to another level once he was able to put out just beautiful videos with kind of a decent amount of regularity. Now, how often um, are you uploading these days? Uh, well, I'm finally back to what I would say is around once a month. Uh, for a while, like I think between like 2020 and 2021, it was like really maybe four or five times a year, like once every two or three months, um, which was a little embarrassing and a little uh, stressful because you know if you go that long between uploading, your views do take a big dip and you see that real-time uh, chart on your Creator Studio app. And it's like, oh yeah, a thousand views an hour. Okay. Uh, am I washed up yet? Um, but yeah, I, I think it, that also plays into why getting an editor was so important is because these projects were just becoming bigger and bigger things um, requiring more and more work. And so instead of going longer and longer between 
episodes, it makes a lot more sense to just get more people working on it so that people can get more content and get higher quality stuff without having to wait, you know, hundred some days <laughs> to get a new episode. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel that, but you know, before we started recording, we were, we touched briefly upon this idea of topic grind Yeah, and, you know, certainly I've changed formats and just completely come up with new styles over and over and over again over the course of my tenure on uh, on Vsauce 2. You know, obviously you have a very clear type of content on TierZoo. You have your, your different series, but, you know, it, it's all still under like a very uh, clearly identified bucket yeah. um, or umbrella, I should say. Uh, how does Topic Grind come into like, your process and... Is it like a, a constant battle? Is it something that you think hiring an editor will help you figure out? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's certainly got a lot more difficult lately. Like when I was first starting out, I literally had every animal that I could make a video about. Like there, I hadn't I hadn't covered any topic already, and so it was just, oh, do I want to do birds this week? Do I want to do giraffes, rhinos? Like there's I, there's nothing I haven't done yet, um, or I have done yet. So like. As as I've made more of my videos, I feel like my potential pool of topics has just only shrunk, um, and I've kind of burned through a lot of the uh, available not only topics but like stock footage and stuff that I could use in in a novel way for videos. I get like kind of jealous when I talk to my friends who do like uh, like movie reviews or video game reviews because they're always making new movies and video games. But they ain't coming out with any new animals lately. So that's where I'm at. And it's like, okay, how do I like, either I have to like start retreading topics I've already covered um, or try to frame stuff in a new way uh, or try to like really dig deep and find a, a, an animal, animal I haven't talked about already, which is, is difficult. I feel like I've kind of covered a lot of the major animal groups. I've already talked about big cats, dogs, birds, fish, like there's not that many animal groups left. I'm working on the insect tier list finally, which I kind of want to be like the best video I ever make because insects are my favorite uh, animal group. Uh, and after that, like I honestly feel like I'm pretty low on on uh, animal topics, which is fine because I think there's a lot of ways I can pivot. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely am going to have to uh, figure out a way to make a more sustainable way of making topics because... Yeah, I'm running short on animals and that's that's fine. I didn't think it would be a problem it, initially because I thought, oh, like there are, you know, millions and millions of species, which is true, but there's not millions and millions of species that are on video extensively that I can make a video about in that way where there's like a like a serious depth of information, lots of different things to talk about for it and lots of videos of them interacting with different animals and doing their they're whatever it is that makes that animal unique. You know, for a lot of animals, they're just not different from something I've already talked about, or they're just not on video, uh, not very much anyway. So yeah, that, that's where I start to really run, run up short. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, I totally get that. And I think it's probably something that people don't think about too often, perhaps as a viewer is that at some point, to make a good video, the thing has to be a good video. <laughs> and that's very different than, say, writing a, an interesting blog post or or perhaps doing a podcast episode and just talking through something. With video, it's like you better have visual uh, content exactly. to match 
you know, what the actual information is or else it's going to stink. You know, we, we ran into that a lot with, with math topics because something might be very interesting theoretically, but turning it into an, a good video is just a totally different thing. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, you can read about this concept on in a, in a math paper and, and be like, wow, that's very interesting. Or maybe I could even tell you about it, you know, in passing conversation, but to, to make a YouTube video about the thing is so, is so much harder. You're, you're much more limited towards, okay, what am I showing? Yeah. Like, what are people looking at? hundred percent. I have and, the exact frustration with, um, <laughs> with, uh, with microbiology because that's actually my specialty. My degree is in microbio. Um, and I get a lot of questions like, oh, could you make like a virus tier list, a bacteria tier list? And I'm like, maybe, but how would I show that? Because even if I were to find footage of like two bacteria fighting each other, which is not an easy video to get, but even if it was, most people wouldn't even know what they're looking at. It's not an easy kind of thing to parse, even if it, if it was well lit and even if it was uh, with a really clear microscope or something. It would still just look like two blobs, maybe like oozing chemicals and, and one of them slowly stops moving as much. And that's it. That's the whole show. So <laughs> where do you go with that? And I would love to talk about microbiology more, but I feel like the only way to realistically make it even somewhat interesting would be to get into animation. And that once you start doing that, that's like a whole that's a whole new ballpark. That's where things get really expensive really quickly. And it's it's a possibility. I'm not. I'm not totally writing it off, but it, it would it would take a lot to go from where I'm at now to the point where I could put out like, I don't know, the sort of Kurzgesagt level uh, immunology videos or bacteriology videos um, that uh, actually are able to grab people's interests. Because just showing like a, a, a microscope slide with bacteria killing each other, I don't think it would do it. I don't think I could uh, uh, get anywhere close to the views I'm getting on you know, more charismatic animals. Yeah, it doesn't have quite the punch of no. like lions and a wildebeest. Not at all. <laughs> it's not exactly no. as visually arresting as seeing that kind of nature footage. Yeah. We want to help you make something and mean something. And we say that phrase all the time because when you're making something and you know it means something, even if it's just to you, that's when you feel pretty good about what you're creating. The support for the Create Unknown in recent weeks has been incredible. Animators, artists, musicians, YouTubers, aspiring filmmakers, comedians, it is crazy how talented everybody in this community is. Consider joining the Create Unknown Patreon. Every dollar that comes through goes straight into the podcast and its community. That means more highlights videos. It means a big Minecraft project that's on the way. And eventually we'd like to manufacture custom piss bottles so you never have to leave your battle station. And being a patron unlocks participation in all of our live recordings. You've seen the roster of guests we've had. Having access to their minds is a unique opportunity. You can go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown or click the link that's in the description. Every little bit helps and your support means absolutely everything to us. Patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Links in the description. We appreciate you, Space Cowboys. Well, I want to get uh, into a specific... A more specific question when it comes to like how you make your videos and that's just how you determine the specific rankings of things like what <laughs> percentile of hp or stealth yeah. the turtle has like wh where does that come from okay yeah um 
to be brutally honest, I kind of just pull it out of thin air. Like I just kind of think, okay, what is this relative to this? And what did I use for that? And okay, maybe this, I'll just tweak the numbers a little bit higher for this one. I try to keep it at least somewhat realistic within a video, but I'm sure if you compared like across multiple videos, like, oh, okay, why does this guy have, you know, 70 HP? Whereas this guy, this guy who's clearly like half the size, why does he have more uh, that, you know, that's, that's fair enough criticism, but I try to keep it kind of self-contained within a video so that people don't have to be up to speed on everything and have seen everything I've ever made to understand it. But yeah, like realistically, how do, how am I going to quantify, like, does the, the Jaguar's paw swipe do more damage than the lion's? I don't know. I, I, I do try to look at a few different metrics. Um, for some things like bite force, uh, is, is at least something that scientists tend to study. And so I can kind of look at that data and, and try to normalize it using that. And there's also like poison potency or venom potency. Uh, usually there's like data on like, uh, toxicology websites or whatever, uh, where it'll show the LG 50, which is like basically how much poison it would take to kill something, uh, at least half the time. So on, on those things, I can at least kind of defend it, but for some, it's like, no, uh, there's no way I could realistically defend it. Like intelligence, especially when you get into, uh, those discussions, they, they get really subjective very quickly. Uh, because you know, is, is a crow smarter than a dog? Like maybe, maybe not. It depends how you frame intelligence. Like can crows understand gestures that humans do? Uh, I know dogs can. And so is that, is that a deciding factor? I don't know. Crows can solve puzzles better than dogs. So is that a deciding factor? I don't know. Um, and there's, they're always publishing new papers showing that this animal is actually way smarter than you thought. Like I heard, I read one recently about like crocodiles and alligators, like, oh, they actually are quite socially uh, intelligent and they can recognize things. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I didn't know that. I just thought they were dumb things that do the bite and they do the, the roll after they, <laughs> they bite stuff and that's it. Um, and of course, we're, you know, our limited human perspective, we, we can never really know what's going on in these animals' minds. And so I just, I, I try to make it so that it doesn't raise too egregious of a question when I show the graphic on screen with the, the stats. Uh, I try to just, you know, if I, if I throw up a cockroach picture and then the intelligence is like near max, people will be like, okay, what's going on? Are they, is there a secret cockroach <laughs> society that I don't know about? Um, but, you know, as long as I keep it at least within the realm of reason, um, I, think it, I think it works. And, and if there is a little bit of discrepancy between what people think and what is actually uh what i put on um then then there, that's a great topic for discussion in the comments or on my subreddit or on twitter or whatever and that can be a cool learning point for people as well um but yeah I mean, long story short it, it's very subjective and anyone who wants to fight me on it like you're that's probably fair enough <laughs> if you have an issue with the way i've rated things it, when it comes to the the tier lists though um that's also like it's, it's subjective, but I feel like it's, it's sort of like when you're writing an essay in like high school and it's like, okay, do you have to be right? No, you don't have to be right, but you have to defend your point well. And as long as you can defend your point well, that's good enough. And so I try to find like for, for like low tier animals, I try to find animals where I can find a lot of videos of them getting just completely wrecked, getting bodied, like just showing on another animal, just giving them the business and then I can make a compelling case like, oh, look, here, you can see for yourself, this animal sucks. 
I wouldn't want to be this animal. So I'm going to put it in F tier. And then of, of course, in reverse, I try for like the top tier animals. I try to find ones where I can display on screen, on video, that's this animal just kicking butt, like fighting something that you think, oh, this thing has no business winning this fight, but it did. And so now I, now I agree. Now it's S tier. Now I would very much fear this animal. I want to be this animal if I was in this environment, that sort of thing. So that's generally how the rankings work in my mind. I also throw a little bit of just bias, like, oh, this animal's really cool. I didn't know this existed before I made the video. And so now I want everyone to see it. Um, that's very much like for, for my bird tier list, I put the, the secretary bird in top tier, which is just this really cool animal that I didn't know existed before I started the channel. But it's basically a velociraptor and I didn't know it was a thing. It, it hunts by just kicking the snot out of whatever it is. Uh, and it's like a basically a giant roadrunner almost is what it kind of looks like. And it hunts snakes, which, you know, snakes are scary. Snakes are dangerous. So anything that can kill snakes consistently, pretty cool in my book. So there, there's definitely like a cool factor in there as well. <laughs> I think I think there should always be a cool factor. It's it's uh it's amazing how hard it is for us to to study animals. You know, you're like when you're talking about animal intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, I only ever did one video about that touched on animals. There's this video called "The Invention of Pets," yeah. and I spoke to good one. I spoke to a couple of uh, of people who study animals and uh the first thing that they told me was uh, you have to use the word cognition not intelligence they made a big deal about that they're like it's not like we don't study their intelligence we study their cognition like okay i never that, that never would have crossed my mind to make that distinction but basically they're trying to figure out you know kind of like what you said when it comes to the the crow versus the dog it's like or even the alligator it's like what are they aware of what are they not aware of? You know, how does that compare to us? Obviously, because we're the only perspective that we have to study other animals. But but one of the things that I had read, and I wonder if you had heard this too, or if anybody uh, listening was familiar with this, was I had read at one point, you know, we have this idea of the lone wolf. And that, that's like a very, very popular trope, the, the trope, the, the lone wolf. Everybody knows what that means. And it, it came from this idea that, now correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, when we were studying wolves, they were in captivity. Yeah. You know, so they'd be caged in, there'd be a bunch of wolves, they're, they're in captivity, they're not free to, to roam, which is what wolves want to do. They want to move around. Mm -hmm. And if you cage them up, all of a sudden, it screws up how they behave and they create this like artificial hierarchy of like alpha wolf and and lone wolf and all of this stuff comes from us human beings us putting them in an unnatural environment whereas if we actually studied wolves in nature they have families they they don't create these like alpha wolf tribes they just kind of stick together like like a family yeah. and that's how wolves in <laughs> in nature actually behave but we have this idea of wolves that comes from putting them basically in a totally artificial and unnatural environment, which changed their behavior. And then that's what we think of when we think of wolves, which is so twisted. Yeah. yeah. It, we have this great game of like basically playing telephone with ourselves. Like we're, we study this animal and sort of superimpose or personify it in some weird way uh, where we start to see it through our own lens. And then this sort of just perpetuates 
this wrong view. And then finally it breaks when we, some scientist eventually comes along and is like, wait, we should probably challenge this notion in the first place because it seems to be based more in our own culture than in the data. But yeah, I think you're exactly right that wolves, not only do they not have the lone wolf thing, but they also don't have the sort of, yeah, the hierarchy, like pack mentality. There's not a wolf pack. There's a wolf family, you know, a, a mating, a breeding pair with their cubs uh, and their little puppies. And that's, that's the show. They, you know, they, of course, travel back and forth between their, their, uh, uh, their families, you know, in search of mates and stuff. But other than that, yeah, they, they stick with their family. And that's how they do their business, as far as I know. I'm not a, a wolf expert, yeah. but I bet if you ask a wolf Me expert. either, but I read that and I was like, you know, we're so stupid that we yeah. <laughs> we we kind of screwed up wolves and, and then take the screwed up version of wolves and decide, well, this is how wolves behave. Wow, very interesting. Uh, I, I read another thing years ago uh, when it came to elephants uh, in which uh, this test was set up for for elephants to try to see if they could figure out how to get this food or whatever you know this is like what we always do i guess is create a puzzle and uh, i'm not going to be able to describe exactly how it was set up because it was years ago when i read this but the the point is uh, whoever set up the test essentially set up the elephant test as if a human being were to solve the puzzle yeah and the elephants couldn't figure it out and so us humans are like, wow, these, I can't believe this elephant can't figure out this test. Mm. <laughs> and the problem is, it's because you set it up <laughs> for a human being to solve. And essentially what happened was eventually, you know, one of the researchers, somebody came in and was like, uh, we need to change this around to better accommodate like how an elephant would solve this thing. And the elephant solved it like instantly, no yeah. problem. <laughs> It really is. It's just <laughs> so all about perspective. Funny. I mean, these animals, we, we can never really get into, into what it's like to look through their eyes. But uh, yeah, I think once we, once we put in an effort to at least try, there's a lot more we can learn. And it, like this whole wolf thing, had just, it, it has cascading consequences into the rest of our culture. Like there's, there's so much that we base this, that we like based on this fake notion of this wolf pack, that kind of thing. Like, I don't know if you're interested like into like dinosaurs or anything like that. But we kind of based how we assumed that raptors, like Velociraptor and whatnot, how they behave on wolves. We thought, oh, like wolves, wolves do this pack hunting thing. I bet your raptors do the same thing. You know, so uh, in all the Jurassic Park movies, there's this raptor pack that is just this devious bunch of, of, uh, of uh, assassins and killers. But that's not how wolves work. So why would you base that on? Why, why would you base how raptors work on that? That's, that wasn't how it worked in the first place. And so we, it's just funny to see how deep these assumptions like kind of permeate through the rest of everything we do. Yeah, we get one thing wrong and all of a sudden down the road, there are like 18 different things wrong yeah. because the first yeah, thing no one challenged was the wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Well, uh, I, I do have an extremely, extremely controversial uh -oh. question to ask you. You know, okay. this is the most controversial question I've probably ever asked on the Create Unknown. <laughs> and it, it and, and it is this. How do you pronounce zoology? Is it zoology or zoology or is it one of those <laughs> words that you can say either way? Uh, I've certainly heard it both ways, um, but I, I like to go with zoology just because it's more fun. You know, people know what a zoo is. People don't know what a zoo is. So I, I go with zoology. 
I don't know. What about you? I like that rationale. Uh, uh, well, I always grew up with zoology, uh, but you know, as as always happens on YouTube, uh, if you say something in a way in which people aren't expecting it or is different than they understand it, they're going to let you know in oh, the yeah. comments. So there was some video where I said zoology, and there was just a rash, of, a, a nice flood of comments from people basically raking me over the coals of course, for of course. Oh, Lord, don't saying, I know it. <laughs> saying it like a like a pleb. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, there's there's been a, a million times I've mispronounced various animal names and been called out for it. Um, it's it's funny. Uh, a lot of YouTubers will do that and then say, ha ha, gotcha. I got your I got your engagement because you corrected me. It's like that's that's not really how it works. But I <laughs> It's it is just a funny part of internet culture. I think people just really like being pedantic and really like correcting their favorite YouTubers. You know, it's, it's a way to you know at least in some way kind of interface with this parasocial relationship that people develop. I'm no exception, so I get it. No, you're right. It does give them something to say, something to chime yeah. in on. Hey, I know something that you didn't know, yeah. and you say. I mean, I, I get it all the time. I am horrendous, horrendous, admittedly horrendous at pronouncing names, uh, especially like French. <laughs> oh my gosh, like French or like like Dutch or like a lot of different European things. Uh, a, lot, a lot of different, even German recently, it, uh, you know, there was a German name that, that a person was really upset about how I pronounced it. And uh, I'm like, I'm from New York. I'm from, I'm from the United States. I'm from New York. This is how I'm gonna say these things. You know, I, I'm going to say Hugo Munsterberg, <laughs> not Hugo Munster, Munsterberg, yep. or however, yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and I always, always feel, uh, and I'm interested to hear what you think about this, but I always feel like it's almost patronizing in a way for me to try to say, you know, like a French word or a German word or a Japanese word. Yeah. yeah. Sort of in the exact way they would pronounce it, it it almost might come across as being patronizing and awkward. It, it totally it is very awkward. Like I've tried it, and I honestly I couldn't tell you how, whether or not I got it right. But there's been a few times where uh, I've just said the name of an animal from a foreign country, where really like it's just their word for something that could just be translated to English. Like for example, um, in my my snake tier list, I talked about. Um, what they call, I mean, I'll probably mess it up here too, but it's, I think they, the way they say it is Buemslang, which is like the way that I read it, the way it's printed on in text is boom slang is at least how I would read it in <laughs> English in my Midwestern accent. <laughs> but I tried to at least keep it true to the Afrikaans Dutch root. I don't even know if it's Dutch. Well, like whatever, it's like a, a like a South Africa would be where the, the word originates, I think. Um, but the word means tree snake. Now, do I want to say tree snake in the video? I'm pretty sure if you go to every country on the planet, they'll have, if you say tree snake, you'll get, you know, however many countries there are, you'll get that, or however many languages there are, you'll get that many different like species of snake because every country has a tree snake, a snake that lives in the trees. It's pretty, it's a pretty common thing to run into. And so I did want, I didn't want to just say tree snake. Um, and so I wanted to make sure I was indicating, okay, this is, like a snake that lives in South Africa in the jungle in the trees. And so I use the term Bwemslang or boom slang, whatever you want to, however you want to say it. I don't really know. I, and, I'm, <laughs> and I got a 
<laughs> I actually didn't get that many comments correcting my pronunciation, but I did get a lot of comments saying, oh, you know, it's just, it, that just means tree snake, you know, right? You know, that's just tree snake in, in Afrikaans. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I, I, I know. But, but I didn't want to just say that. <laughs> But I totally hear what you mean. I mean, that, pronunciation is a mess. That logic could extend to a lot of things right. where, you know, we call a thing by, a, a, you know, a foreign word, foreign to the English language or foreign to the, uh, to the United yeah. States. That literal translation is just like Apple. Exactly. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. It's like. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we kind of have to use those words for a reason because they identify something very yeah, specific yeah. like a like a boom slang mm. <laughs> a boom slang yeah um i wanted to ask you about uh i wanted to ask you about nebula cuz uh yeah. you know i know that you're doing stuff on nebula mm -hmm. um you know you have uh, a channel there where you uh release extra content you yeah. release content early uh, there's some like merchant stuff involved. I would just, to, I would like to hear about, you know, your experience with Nebula, what Nebula is doing, um, how, how you think it's, you know, role with sort of online education is, is playing out and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I think my experience with Nebula has been nothing short of excellent. Um, it's, it just, it's essentially for me, it's a, it's a place where you can upload stuff that might not necessarily work, um, on YouTube in terms of the YouTube algorithm or their community guidelines. Um, but things that you think your audience is still interested in. It's also just a place to like experiment. I've done kind of, uh, I've tried out different styles on, on Nebula and just to kind of gauge people's reactions to it. Um, but it's, it's been really good. I mean, there, there's been a few times where I've wanted to put something on Nebula just because uh, it was maybe too violent for YouTube. You know, I deal with a lot of violence in terms of like the animal combat that I portray. And sometimes it can get a little grisly and I don't necessarily want that to be um, what goes to the general public. And so I'll just kind of do like a director's cut version on Nebula. Um, and so if you, if you want to check that out, they can. Um, but Nebula also, it, one of the reasons I love it so much is that it, it supports creators to do these sort of shoot for the moon projects um, where you, you know, do something totally out of left field and they'll like fund it and let you um, promote it on your videos and get paid to promote it on your videos. And so you're getting paid multiple times for the same work, which is great. Um, and so one of the things I'm doing lately is I'm trying my hand at uh, 3D animation, which is kind of going off of what we were talking about earlier. How am I going to pivot? How am I going to create a more sustainable thing? Well, I mean, animation is high budget, um, but it can work on a platform like Nebula, where it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a half hour YouTube video because animation, you know, the longer it gets, the more expensive it is. And so I, one of the things I'm working on is I've spent a lot of time this year hiring people and building out this 3d studio. And my plan is just to like have those more high budget things exist on Nebula as a sort of exclusive content uh, that I can show at least snippets of on my YouTube channel and promote them and say, here, like, look at this, look at this platform. They're, they're giving me the opportunities to really shoot for the moon and, and, seek out my dreams of, of making my own 3d animation stuff like that and that's just been a lot of fun i, I think nebula's been really great in that regard and yeah the, there's also the the whole uh releasing videos early it, it's in a similar manner to like patreon it serves multiple purposes i mean people love to get early content but also it kind of lets you gauge a little bit of early reaction and see how people like did people catch any weird spelling errors you made or whatever like that kind of thing so it, it's been great i, I really like it 
that that element is something I hadn't even thought of. But holy cow, <laughs> that sounds really helpful. <laughs> Being able to have kind of like like beta testing yeah. the video yeah. uh, for for errors or 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 even just uh, you know mispronunciations. Yeah. Cause that is, that is a, such a freaking huge worry that, that first like half an hour or so after a video goes live on YouTube, it's just like, okay, what did I, I miss? Know. Okay. Which <laughs> comment am I going to get 3000 exact copies of this time? <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally get it. And yeah, even just doing it on like Patreon or something, uh, it's a great way. As long as you can show it to at least a few like hardcore fans and they'll tell you, Hey, like the background music here was way too loud. I couldn't even hear what you're saying. And me who recorded it, I know exactly what I was saying. And so I'm like, oh, okay. I, it doesn't phase me that maybe it's not the most comprehensible uh, thing I've ever said. So yeah, there, there's a lot of ways where it's really helped me out um, you know, over the course of my career on YouTube. Well, and you become so numbed to the whole thing yeah. by the like, by the end that it's like hard to even look at for like the 10,000th time to make sure that everything is you know, there's no like dirty frames yeah. or like, oh, this audio got slid over at some point and now it's overlapping here. There's like so so many weird things that can go yeah. wrong. That's hard to catch at the last second. So, that, I mean, that sounds cool. That sounds really cool. You know, I, I think that there have been there have been a handful of alternate video platforms that have sprung up, come and gone. And it would be really great to have just not not only just more competition, for YouTube, but just more, I don't know, like, like niche areas, yeah. I think for, for creators to not only upload to, but also, yeah, get, get kind of like support and build an audience. Totally. Because I think what it comes down to is yeah, just relying upon YouTube is tough. Yeah. I, I think what it comes down to with these, these sort of alt platforms, you know, you have like, a, what, like uh float plane or like uh, uh me or like rumble. Um, my issue with those is they don't they don't give you that much incentive to to post there. It's like okay, you, you, you post your videos and maybe we'll run ads and share and share with you. It's like great. That's that's no different than YouTube. But with Nebula, one of the things that's great is that I actually like own a percentage of the like Nebula company. Like they the Nebula company gives you gives creators who upload there like equity, shadow equity in the company, um, equivalent to like. I think it's like the watch time of your videos on the platform or like the percentage of revenue that your videos have generated on there, which is great because then as you grow, it gives you an incentive to grow the platform itself rather than just like chuck your video on there and be like, okay, maybe this, maybe this makes money. Maybe this has a purpose, but probably not. I don't know. So it makes, it, it, it aligns our incentives in a way that I don't think a lot of these other platforms have really nailed down yet. No, 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 they haven't. And, and, and you know, I don't want to get too inside baseball sure. on this, but I think people wouldn't would be blown away by the amount of startups and platforms that are knocking down people's doors to join and to upload and to create for or even just to add their content to. Yeah. And like you said, offer no incentive to do right. so. It's like, well, <laughs> this is first of all, this is my job. Second of all, it takes a ton of time and resources to now add like another platform to the list of things I need to upload to or pay somebody else to do that. And that costs money. It's like, I, I don't, I don't think you quite understand <laughs> sort of like the amount of resources and investment that you think, Oh yeah, just, just join, you know, 
Twiddly do. <laughs> they always have. You know, Twiddly do is like, that like the, the, the new content <laughs> hub. Twiddly do. Oh, That's super true. I'm sure you can relate like, to get, just getting like I don't know dozens of emails like so frequently of this new yeah this new startup doing the exact same thing that a million others have done. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely part of the YouTube experience. Is these other platforms trying their not hardest at all? I mean. I would say they're they're trying their hardest, but yeah, they they give you nothing and they're trying to poach you. It's like why would why would I waste my time? Yeah, with like they it's like with like no idea. It's like wait, so what's your yeah. idea? Oh, nothing. Okay. Yeah, it's great when they like <laughs> good, good luck spend all their money sponsoring like a VidCon lounge or something, and like trying to sell you on their thing. It's like oh, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. I, I'm always like, are you, is this like a, a money laundering right. operation? <laughs> like what, what actually is happening Absolutely. here? Twiddly, twiddly do. Where are you getting mm-hmm. your money? Are you getting your money from, from Heisenberg? <laughs> what's, what's exactly, what exactly is uh, going on mm-hmm. here? Um, before, uh, we have some, some questions from our patrons that I'd like to get to, but, um, I do have a couple of more on my end. One, you know, you mentioned kind of like violence uh, potentially being a hindrance uh, in your videos, um, uh, at least on YouTube. Do you get any complaints or blowback from people uh, that are like, how could you, I don't know, make light out of animals killing each other? Yeah, I, I do get it every so often. Um, what what I find really, really ticks people off is if I ever depict a cat in any sort of peril. People lose their minds if a cat is in a rough spot. It is unbelievable. Like I, I showed this one wow. clip in my fish tier list where two cats are sitting on the edge of a pier and a fish jumps up and slaps one of them. And and if you slow the video down, you can tell that the cat is fine. It just gets like knocked backwards a little bit. But if you're watching it at normal pace, it actually kind of looks like the cat is getting bitten and pulled under. And people kind of freaked out when they saw that, like, oh, no, we, we can't we can't show the cat getting getting swallowed by the depths of the sea. That's too much. <laughs> and like, I get it. You know, if, if you're really empathetic towards an animal you see as like a pet, I kind of get it. But people just like really get very fervent about it and very like, I don't know, <laughs> I, I, I worry that people are going to like flag my video as being, you know, hateful or violent or whatever for something that's really just kind of slapstick humor um, because they just they care so much about these animals and I, I try to be sensitive and, and respectful, but I mean, these are animals after all. I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a tough line to walk. And I think, especially on a channel like mine, that's so irreverent of the natural world. Um, yeah. Walking that line of respect and not, not glorifying violence, but not being too like, not too, not pulling too many punches and, and showing that these animals, even though, even if they're like pets and, and, animals that we love and, and care for, they still have a place in, in the natural world and they have to fight for survival just like everything else. Um, so I don't know. It, I, I think it's an interesting aspect of it, but people sometimes really do not like it. No, I mean, I totally understand that we're so, so divorced from what nature actually is like mm-hmm. that when, when you see even just a glimpse of it, it seems horrifying. Yeah. But that's just because we're so, you know, people don't really... People, people don't grow up on farms anymore. It's like, look, <laughs> if you grew up on a farm, <laughs> you have seen some stuff involving uh, animals. Uh, you've seen a lot of stuff involving uh, life and death and things, you know, eating one another. Even if you have like like barn cats, for example, 
Like a barn cat is not the same as a house cat. <laughs> like a barn cat is gonna freaking destroy some yeah. rodents, and it's and and it's gonna do it in a way that if you if you witness it, it's it's not a cartoon. No, it'll it's change not, your perspective. It's not Disney. <laughs> there's no song and dance. It, there's not a musical. Um, you know, it's not like the cute little Cinderella mice, mm-hmm. and uh, it will change your perspective. But people don't have that perspective anymore we don't have that experience largely anymore so there is that weird disconnect between what what people grow up with which is just things like house cats which are just fluffy and you just hug them and they're so cute yeah (laughs) they never do anything you know violent or weird uh maybe they scratch you by accident while you're rubbing their belly but they're not exactly like you're not watching them rip off a chipmunk's tail for fun and like bat yeah. it around with its friends, <laughs> which cats which is really what are like when it, when it comes happens. to the, the animals that which I don't think deserve really any extra like, I don't know, tiptoeing around when it comes to violence. It's cats because cats are just murderous monsters when it comes to other things in the ecosystem. They are a natural disaster an ecological terror. I mean, whenever a, a new country or a country gets starts importing pet cats like local local birds and local lizards and stuff they start going extinct this is how it goes <laughs> cats are very very powerful they kill creatures. everything they do they're very good at murder <laughs> they kill everything and there there is that i don't know if it's just a like one of those silly uber fact things or if it's an actual like scientific hypothesis that cats would attack and kill you if they were bigger like a house cat would 100% just slaughter you if it didn't know that you were much bigger than I, it. I would believe it. I, I think the one fact I've heard is that if like um, if someone like dies in their house with their pets, um, like a cat will waste no time like just starting to eat you. <laughs> Whereas a dog will like wait around and like whine and stuff. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I haven't like really. I, I, I don't really know. Into I don't it, know. But I would believe it though. Could also be, and yeah, of course, big cats an will urban kill legend. people, um, jaguars and and tigers and stuff. They'll they if you're not careful, they'll if you turn your back on them, they'll kill you. They have no qualms mm. doing it. <laughs> yeah, there there are those 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 urban legends like the cat people versus the dog people, and that that's always one of those urban legends that they use. Where there's a story. Where, you know, this dog's owner died and he just laid down by his grave until he (laughs) died of starvation. (laughs) And then conversely, the cat thing where it's like this cat lady, you know, she she fainted and she woke up and her cats were chewing her eyeballs (laughs) out. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have no idea whether or not the validity of those stories, but uh, I, I could. No, I could believe it. No, no, me either. But I will say, you know, before we transition away from this, that uh, TCU is a a, a cat-friendly podcast. Uh, Matt Tabor's legendary cat, Pig, is one of our emotes, actually, in our Discord. And uh, we even have uh, a little channel just for, for your pets. So if you're a big pet person, whether it's cats, dogs, bearded dragons, I don't know what you have, and you want to share some, some pictures, uh, you can do that in our Discord. Okay, uh, we do have some uh, Patreon questions here. Um, Antomo says, what is your favorite parasite or the one you find the most interesting? Whoa, okay, my favorite parasite. That's great. That's a great question. Um, I think it's a, it's a tough call. I think I would go with 
um, either the the cordyceps fungi or the uh, I think it's called like the shoelace worm or something like that, bootlace worm. Um, I don't know. Uh, but so Negleria is a is a fungus, but not Negleria. Sorry, uh, cordyceps is a fungus um, that uh, takes over the brains of insects. It's that's uh, what the, they base the zombies in the game The Last of Us off of, where the, these fungus will take control of these insects' brains and cause them to put themselves in peril deliberately so that this fungus can further propagate itself by spreading through the ecosystem uh, and up the food chain. That one's a really cool one. I think it's fascinating. And then the, uh, I, I forget the name of it, I, I, but it's a, it's a parasitic like nematode worm thing that infests uh, also insects. Poor insects can't catch a break. They're always getting their bodies snatched from them. Um, but it all, it, it's, uh, the one that you'll, you'll see videos, uh, of animals throwing or insects throwing themselves into like swimming pools and stuff. And then suddenly this parasite bursts from its, from its body and starts swimming around. It just looks horrifying. It is just incredibly unsettling to, to look at. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are probably my favorites. They're, they're very interesting to, to watch as, as creepy and, uh, and unsettling as they are. They're, they're pretty neat. Yeah. Literal sci-fi horror yeah. on Earth. Um, Dan the Latch asks, how will genetic customization DLC <laughs> affect humanity's placement in the meta? Will the cat girl subclass reign oh, supreme? Oh, goodness. Now, that is, a good, that is good. Yeah, that's a tough one. I don't think we're quite there yet. I would hope that it would start uh, from a place of, to use the Tirzu lingo, I would hope that it's more focused on negating any potential debuffs that your your starter character spawns in with you know if you if you spawn in with cystic fibrosis or you know some sort of other disability that is just going to haunt you your whole life and, and make your life much more difficult i would hope that these sort of genetic uh advancements um would be able to cure that first and foremost and then you know later on maybe we can start start getting into the sort of augmentation aspect of it you know if you want your your tail for for your own purposes uh or for <laughs> uh, or wings that would be my my first thing is okay when can we get wings because i want to fly flying sounds really cool uh and so some some way to augment that onto someone uh or also just you know like lifespan stuff and, and immunities to various diseases and cancers and things like that that'd be cool there's a lot of animals which seem to at least have some sort of biological immortality and neg negligible senescence and that sort of thing um so that would be cool to sort of mod into our genetics, but I think I I don't know if I'm going to live to see it. I would love to, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> okay, well we'll have to wait yeah. to see, you know, just how dominant the cat girl subclass <laughs> ends up being. Uh, Dan the Latch has a follow up question that I don't really get, but you know I'm going to ask it and we'll just okay. see what happens. He says, "What's what's a flavoring people would stop wanting in their food?" if they knew what it was derived from. Okay. Um, maybe they're asking this because they know I'm a former food scientist. We didn't talk about that, but before I did YouTube, I, I worked at Jack Link's Beef Jerky as a food scientist. Um, oh, yes. Dan Lech says yes. Okay. He knew this. So that's where that question okay. comes from. Okay. There you worked at, at Jack Link's Beef Jerky as a food scientist? I did. Scientist? That was my first job out of college was food scientist associate food scientist how what was that like it was great it, it was a good job um it, it was a lot of uh, uh basically running experiments on 
the, the process by which the company would create its, its snack foods. And so we would just like change little things about the recipe and then put that in and, and tell the, you know, uh, the machines and the, and the workers to do it this way instead of the way they'd normally do it and see how it turned out that, and then we'd, you know, try it out and see if we liked it better or not, or see if it tested better among, uh, focus groups or whatever. And that was it. And that's, it was kind of fun seeing what we could tweak to make things better or make people like it more. But anyways, when it comes to, uh, flavorings that people would be put off from, I mean, I guess there's like all the classic examples of like, uh, flavorings that came from like the glands of animals, I think is one of the, one of the classic ones. I think, I don't know if it was like strawberry or something that from what I've heard came from a gland of like a beaver. I don't, I don't know. What? It's, I'm pretty sure that's a real thing. Um, Wait, so someone is like extracting strawberry flavor from <laughs> at beaver least, glands at least somewhere at some in the point, world? Was, I think at this point, <laughs> I would at least hope that we can synthesize that same compound in a lab. That's my assumption. Okay. I could be wrong. I, I, okay. There's a lot of weirdness out there when it comes to food science. There's a lot of shenanigans that, that, uh, that goes on behind the scenes. Um, Oh, Dan the Latch said it was used for strawberry ice See, there cream. There you go. Okay, okay, I'm not the crazy. Be- the beaver there gland. It is. There it is. You're welcome, society. Enjoy that next time you're eating your strawberry ice cream. I love strawberry ice cream though. So that's that's I mean, whatever. So be it. <laughs> Sounds like beaver ice cream to me from where I'm yeah, sitting. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> that's, that's a- <laughs> we, we live oh in a society, gosh. you know. <laughs> we do. Good old beaver ice cream. Um. I'm writing that down. Okay. Opinions. Uh, oh, this is the last one. And, and Tomo asks, uh, any opinions on the worm pond? The worm pond? Yeah. Might be some kind of meme. I don't know Maybe. what the worm pond is. I, yeah. I, if you can get them to elaborate on it, if they're like in the chat or something, um, I would love to know what they're talking about. Oh, there's a, there's a gif in the oh, uh, chat. Oh, I see of, it. Okay. Oh yeah. There's a, pond oh, full okay. of worms i think those it are looks, it looks like some yeah sewer, i think those are leeches like drainage I, pretty yeah if i if i had to guess i would say that that these are leeches being shown in this in this little gif um so yeah i mean i i wouldn't uh i i wouldn't uh, jump in <laughs> if i had if i had to give you some advice i'd say probably uh don't dip your fingers in that um Stay worms are cool though. worms are great they're like some of the most diverse and numerous creatures on the planet. I think when it comes to worms and like biomass, I think they're, I think the, the heaviest like organism by weight, I'm pretty sure is earthworms. I mean, not, might not be uh, correct, but I, I know it's at least like in the top five is earthworms. There's just so many worms. Worms are like massively successful creatures and they just eat dirt <laughs> and that's all they need to do. And they're, they're ruling the world. It's, it's the worms world. We're just living on it. Um, so worms are great. And there's a lot of different kinds of worms too. We talked about the one that, you know, explodes from the bodies of, of insects after it jumps into some water, but there's leeches and you got like red worms and, and round worm and nematodes. And there's even a kind of worm that I think has like metal jaws, which is pretty wacky. Um, what? Yeah, it has like jaws made of, I, I think it's copper, um, super wild stuff. I think it's, I think, it, I think blood worm. I think that's what it is. I don't know. I saw I saw it on, wow. a, on an episode of Brave Wilderness. They're another great wildlife channel. So, gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, so uh, looks like Jeff got one in here at the last minute. What dinosaur has the best Ooh, stats? Okay, that's a great question. Um, personally, I would say that it would it would probably be either like sauropod dinosaurs, like the ones with really long necks, like Brachiosaurus, Apatosaurus, Brontosaurus, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, they're just absolutely massive and nothing nothing in their time could even come close to attacking them when they were fully grown so i think even even t-rex and and giganotosaurus and whatnot they, they ain't had nothing on them um i would also probably talk about uh ankylosaurus the ones that are just tanks <laughs> they have massive shell armor plating on their backs and clubs for tails and spikes for tails those ones are definitely up there so yeah when it comes to overall overall stats i'd probably i'd probably give it to those guys we need some kind of like elden ring type game with dinosaurs i would love that i think i would play that i guess there's kind of like horizon zero dawn kind of has it has like mechanical dinosaurs but they are dinosaurs nonetheless that are huge giant things true but yeah yeah, but okay, I want to be, be the, the dinosaur. dinosaur. Then I agree. Not yeah, Aloy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> there, there hasn't really been, to my knowledge, any really good dinosaur sims that are engaging enough to get no. a, big, a big user base. There's been a few attempts. There, uh, there's, uh, mm. I think one is called like the Isle. I think I haven't even played it. I, it didn't look that fun to be honest. It's kind of just you know you run around and maybe fight some people, but I don't know. The the problem with these sort of wildlife games. That they try to make is that there's really not that much depth you can get into um in terms of like if you're trying to make it really realistic like a lot of animals all they do is kind of just like walk around and forage for food socialize um or hunt and a lot of times they're not very successful at hunting and spend a lot of time just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for their prey so i don't know it, it as much as i would love to to make the the tier zoo game you know where you can play as any animal and whatnot I actually think it's kind of better off just as a concept in our minds and to make a show about instead of actually playing it. <laughs> I don't know. It might, yeah, it might just have to stay a, a sweet dream instead of a crappy yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before, before I let you go, um, I have to do German and Isaac, apparently a solid, and ask you, what is your fursona? You have a fursona? <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not a part of that community. No? I'm sorry to disappoint. No, I, I have I do have like a sizable <laughs> uh like amount of people in my like Discord server, and I'm sure like just generally in my fan base who are in that community. Just because you know thinking of thinking of what it's like to be an animal in natural world kind of bleeds into okay that sort of you know role playing as an animal that kind of thing. And so like I I mean I guess I get it. You know if you're interested in that it. You might really like Tirzu. That's cool, but it's never really been <laughs> it's never really been anything on my radar in terms of hobbies. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> All right. Well, Isaac is Sorry, crushed, Isaac. but you know that's okay. He he's a he's a robust human being. We can or human being, uh, cat cat like human being. I don't really know yeah. what what Minty is. Well, I'm sorry, I guess Isaac. I can at, at least try to empathize with you a bit, and cat? I would say like <laughs> if I were to make like a costume. I, I think my favorite animals are probably like parrots and like iguanas. So if I guess I was going to oh. make a costume, it would probably be one of those. So hopefully that, that, that helps a little bit, but I don't have anything like that. And I don't, I have no plans to do anything like that, but oh, well, <laughs> well, you, at least you gave, you gave some people something to think sure. about. And I think that that's all we could ask for. Um, 
Before we wrap up, I have to say happy three-year TCU anniversary to Ben W., who has uh, is celebrating his third year of servitude here at the Create Unknown, which is huge. Uh, we love Ben. It's been integral to making this show happen for three years now. That is unbelievable. So right. congrats, congrats, Ben. ben. And uh, that that's it. You know, I just want to say... Uh, beaver ice cream is the f- my favorite thing that we learned in this episode. I hope to never forget about beaver ice cream. If uh, if you're listening and you haven't if you haven't watched any Tear Zoo, uh, you're, first of all, you're welcome for introducing you to the channel. It is wildly entertaining. You will love it. Uh, it's hyper bingeable. It's definitely one of those channels where you just kind of gets sucked in you know it's it's like the ultimate rabbit hole kind of no pun intended so enjoy getting sucked into tier zoo uh thank you so much for coming on the podcast this was a pleasure and definitely uh i look forward to seeing you in a few weeks at vidcon yeah, too likewise thanks a bunch for having me kevin this was a lot of fun yeah awesome all right uh so check out tier zoo um if you're if you're also interested check out uh his channel on uh, nebula uh, in which you can see stuff early. You can see uh, more violent footage if you need that in your <laughs> life. And uh, yeah, and some uh, some some moonshot projects as well. Um, we will be back next week. Uh, Matt will be back next week. We will have Evil Uno from AEW. That is All Elite Wrestling will be joining us to talk about life as a wrestler and also uh, the stuff that he does for YouTube, for AEW and for his own personal channel. So that will be really, really, really awesome. Um, if you want to support the create unknown, please just go to patreon.com slash the create unknown and uh, buy a t-shirt. We have the nicest t-shirts that you can possibly make. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but uh, we still have t-shirts and it, it will drape over your body like like no other garment imaginable so uh check the links below for our patreon and as well as where to get uh, a create unknown t-shirt until then we're out of here see you space cowboys thanks for listening to the create unknown we make this show with the support of our patrons 100 goes directly to keeping episodes going every week and we've been shocked by all the new support this year the world's ending and I'm late for work. Gib Tom, Sid Poke, Demetrius, Atrocious Guff. You guys really do make this show happen. Thank you to the Tots and Dumpster crew, old and new, who save tiny little lives every month. And thank you to our grizzled, battle-hardened child infantry. Jen Mefasanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Risebread, Sean Malone, Triple Question Mark, Ryan, Kamikaze, Maria, Marco Sheep, Tom Videogre, Jelksies, and Dan the Latch. And a tremendous shout-out to our elite baby gang commanders. Linus and Trevstad, Boromir, Botdogs, Chinchilla, Isaac, Conrad, James, Andrew, Jeff Davis, Patrick Pister, Basewade, Monahim, Dojangles, and Zero. You really are the elite. Thank you as well to our indentured servants, producer-editor Ben Webster, Discord Savior Ladderman, and producer emeritus Dan Yoshua. And thanks to Baseweight for the use of Created in the Unknown for the opening theme, and to Electro Voice for giving us mics to sound good on top of it. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production in partnership with Studio 71.